Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, season one. This podcast is about erasing shame through honest talk for healthy living, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and personally. Visit our website at erasingshame.com for links to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes and YouTube. Now, let's have an honest talk for healthy living. Welcome to Erasing Shame podcast, where we have honest talk for healthy living. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about sex. And so a parental advisory. Uh, this is a conversation that we are having that will involve uh, adulting kind of topics. So um, listen to this uh, with discretion. Uh, my name is DJ Chuang, and I'm joined with Roy Kim, who is a therapist in the Orange County area. Roy was a burnt out pastor at a very low point in his life. And his wife loved another man and he hated God. Yet God never abandoned him and instead gave Roy a new legacy. And he now counsels those suffering from sex addiction, betrayal trauma, and divorce devastation. His counseling practice is now called New Legacy Counseling Services, and in July, he'll be remarrying a wonderful woman and becoming an overjoyed stepdad. Congratulations, Roy. Thank you for uh, being here with us. <laughs> Thanks, DJ. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so we have about half an hour to talk about a very big topic, and oh, yeah. I don't know what it is about our humanity, our human condition, but we are obsessed with sex, and I think... Yeah. In our digital age, in this internet age, uh, that has only accelerated it and highlighted it even more and more than ever. So um, let, let's start with um, help introducing your story a little bit more to our listeners and viewers. Uh, how, when, when did you discover that shame was something that you had to deal with, with those really hard things that you went through in your life? Yeah, um, that's it's a good question. I I don't think that I was cognizant really of what shame was. I just experienced um, a ton of isolation. Mm -hmm. um, I think I remember what um, Dr. Lisa said in the in the previous episode about how I think her definition of shame was to paraphrase like um, the things that you don't talk about. Right. You know, that you don't want to share. Mm -hmm. And for sure, you know, me being a pastor and um, being betrayed by my spouse and um, trying to make sense of it all and, you know, coming to grips with uh, with a, a real feeling that I think my life was over, mm -hmm. you know, and so you you try to wrestle with that, but nothing really makes sense. And um, at a time like that, you kind of feel that you're alone, that you don't really want to share with people because you wonder whether they would understand or you wonder what their response would be like. Um, so, you know, to be a pastor and to, to have that kind of devastation, you know, it did a number on my on my faith in him as well. You know, I had certain expectations of how life worked. I had expectations of how he would tend to me or how he would care for me. 
And when I didn't feel like he would protect me from devastation like that, you know, I just kind of throw up my hands and say, why even bother? You know, so mm-hmm. with all all these things that I mentioned, plus probably a dozen more, I just went into isolation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my isolation, that's where I had, you know, like binge drinking, um, you know, sex addiction came, you know, more mm-hmm. into play. Uh, just anything that I can do to numb the pain. And, um, and I, you know, I avoided church, uh, avoided anything that had to do with, you know, God or the Bible or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, just, just basically active rebellion against him. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where you realize that, you know, even though you're, I'm live, I'm living secretly, uh, over time, I realized through <laughs> certain encounters that these secrets get surfaced and mm. you can't keep, you can't keep these secrets anymore. And so if you can't keep the secrets anymore, then you're just sort of um, confronted with what we're talking about today, which is shame. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in the midst of that pain and you try to find some things that would uh, soothe the pain or mask the pain, uh, what, change in your life that you began to look for healing instead of hiding and move, move towards healthy living. It took a long time. Um, like how long is long years? Mm. Um, I would say it it probably, it probably came about in stages. Mm. Um, I think, I think the foundation piece for me being able to like, um, I don't know. I, not necessarily have my legs yet. I think people were supporting me, but I think the safest foundation I had during that time was actually the um, the cohort that I was a part of for my for my MFT um, mm. graduate work. Mm-hmm. And you know they were not my church. Um, I was not really going to a church, but most of these people were Christian. But the way that they lived out their faith and the way that they had conversations with uh, one another in in the cohort was. Um, it was Christ-like, mm. um, in, in uh, not the Christ-like that I used to think of, which is kind of like, you know, you gotta be perfect all the time, but Christ-like in its understanding and its grace, um, the, the conversations that they had with me were just so full of compassion and non-judgment. And I think, mm, even though I didn't have a, a transformation during that time, I think that was the beginning part of it. But like I said, it took years. Um, I, I, I removed myself from Southern California because that's where most of my memories of my trauma was. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I needed that geographic separation to get my bearings. And I think it was during my internship when I was up in the Bay Area where I, day in, day out, I was working with um, other interns and other supervisors who were similar to my cohort in that they were so full of grace and so full of understanding and um you know a a a person who i interviewed for my podcast said that um she said that um one of the healing things for her was that people didn't you know hurry her along in her Mm. process and I felt that about these people up north is that they didn't hurry me along, but rather they just were with me no matter what, you know. And over time, I, you know, years and years, I'd say three years at the minimum, um, I was able to 
confront the shame eventually and mm. to be able to accept myself mm. and accept life and accept mm-hmm. um, maybe the, the, the beginning invitations of God to give me a new legacy for my life. You know? mm. um, so, That's yeah, it, it, it takes a long time. Yeah, and and uh, when you say that they were with you and patient with you, it sounded like they uh, gave you a safe place to just be yourself, and exactly they didn't right. judge you, and they accepted you, and they showed kindness to you, and that really helped you to uh, begin to realize just numbing your pain wasn't a good way to just live. Yeah, yeah, and you know they weren't they weren't the type who said you should do this or you should do that. It's just mm-hmm. really like you know how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And as I shared as honestly as I could, you know, they said, yeah, that's that's really understandable. You know, I'm I is there anything that I can do? You know, that mm-hmm. could be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sharing meals together, whatever. But they never were the type who were trying to rush me out of what I was going through, and that was really helpful for me. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine if I went through just one of the three difficult things that you went through, uh, I would want to hide. I would want to move to the Midwest and work at McDonald's and just try to live my life very quietly. Uh, I'm a little surprised that you're able to continue in grad school and that you didn't lose your faith. I mean, when something like that happens, it would be very easy to lose your faith. And I know we have viewers and listeners that Mm -hmm. uh, have faith and those that uh, do not have faith, and but they're part of this uh, conversation because they're part of our hu- human condition. And so, yeah, um, how how did you make that turn? How how did you? Yeah, how how did you do that? <laughs> how did I do that? Um, I guess the church answer was, was it the light. Jesus? Was the light? <laughs> did did the light come on? Like you said. Um, yeah. Um, in, in a I, moment uh, of numbing the pain, you said, "Yeah, I don't want this anymore. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you a short story. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was so bitter at God. Um, months and years worth of just bitterness towards him. And um, the, the, the prevailing thought was, um, why did you do this to me? Mm-hmm. You know, why did you not protect me? Don't you care? Uh, how could you, you know, how could you jack me like this? Right. And so because that anger was always there um, in my heart, my soul, um, it was it was just it was cancerous you know, for me. And there came a point uh, up in the Bay Area where um, one of the fellow therapists in my um, in my counseling center, she was an art therapist and she told me um, about some of the work that she does. And, um, you know, I, I was, it was interesting to me, like, you know, she, how, how the usage of art can, um, be used to create insight, to create, you know, um, maybe movement in your progress towards a particular goal, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it accesses a different part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I was, uh, I was curious about it. And so I, uh, I took a plunge and I bought some used paints and some canvases and um i don't really know where i was going with it but i just started started um painting on a canvas and just seeing where it went and eventually i landed upon um drawing the face of an angel Hmm. who was looking at my trauma 
you know, so an angel from in heaven looking down upon my situation. And, you know, I, I tell people this a lot that art doesn't lie. You know, if, if when you, when you whether it's a novice like myself or a real full fledged artist, hmm. when you're, when you're drawing or painting, you'll just keep on making corrections until it says and expresses what you want it to express. You know, you, mm. you can't be satisfied until that happens. It just, it doesn't lie, right? It doesn't lie about what's really going inside the heart. Mm. So as I was drawing it, I kept on making corrections, kept on making corrections. And then finally the end product was this angel, the eyes full of fire and tears as it was looking at my situation. And in that moment, I had this aha awakening that, wait a second, God is looking, you know, represented in the angel, God is looking at me, and not in a I don't care kind of way, but rather, a, he's torn up kind of way. He's devastated, as he's looking at what happened, and he's angry. And for me, why that was revolutionary is because this whole time I thought that God didn't care. Mm -hmm. In fact, that, you know, I had all these prayers that I wanted answered and he wasn't answering them. And I just interpreted that as he just, he just doesn't care. But to, to know in my, in my head and feel in my heart that he was just as devastated as I was meant that he was actually on my side. And that opened the door for me to, to start to accept the fact that maybe he had other other plans. And my therapist at the time told me that um, my ex-wife has her own will. She has her own agency. And God, for whatever reason, allows people to have free agency. And when I accept that, um, that's when my healing can start to take place. And in that moment, I think that's when I realized that, yes, she had her free agency, her free will, and God was devastated by her choices. But he is a he's the type of God who cares about what I'm going through. And so he will then walk with me through this pain into a into the into the path of into the path of healing and um that was um i think that was really the the most significant turnaround for for me in my in my emotional healing and my spiritual healing as well good thank you for sharing that now uh let's talk about the sex part let's talk about sex so <laughs> what what is it with people's obsession about sex yeah. And and there's a quest for pleasure. There's the procreation, how to reproduce part. And then now we're in this midst of uh, gender identity and all kinds of sexual variety and liberation. And then there's the dark side of harassment and abuse and human trafficking. So what's what's so bad about sex and how do you know when you uh, cross the line into sex addiction? Yeah, sex is. Um, it's a fascinating thing. Um, it's, um, I think sex is great. <laughs> you know, I think, I think it is one of the, uh, yeah, right. It is yes. one of the, one of the, one of the best things in life. 
-hmm. And yet when sex is perverted, it is one of the most devastating, you know, devastating things in life. Um, you think about affairs, um, mm -hmm. you think about the shame that happens, you know, with like politicians and their, and their mm -hmm. scandals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the careers are ruined, families are ruined because of sexual perversions. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's, whether it's believer or non-believer alike, there's something innate within us that when we are in a sexual relationship with someone, um, there's something, um, I don't know, something otherworldly that happens when, mm -hmm, when sex mm -hmm. enters the picture yes. and something sacred. Mm -hmm. And so the sense of betrayal that one feels, even when, some, when someone is like dating and having sex and you realize that this person had sex with another person or even like virtual sex with like pornography or whatever it is, there's just something that hits the soul so hard mm. that it's, it's unmistakable. It's, I think it's just innate in all of us. Um, and so, yeah, sex is so powerful. It's so, it's so wonderful. It does, like you said, it, it, it allows us to have children. Um, but it's, it's so, it's got such potential for devastation when it's not, um, I guess applied the right, the right way. I dare I say right way. Right. Yeah. That, um, uh, you've touched on this other dimension that people may not realize when they're just caught up in the excitement of it. That's far more than emotional and physical. Oh yeah. And there's oh, that yeah. intangible part that just really drilled down into our very depth of being. And Definitely. You know, so uh, let's say, let's say someone is dating and, you know, let's say they, they had, you know, they had sex with one person, uh, one night and, you know, like, let, let's just say that, you know, your typical person just believes that sex, sex is just sex. Right. But then yeah. let's say you find out that the person that you, that, that you had sex with, I don't know, the next hour or the next morning had sex with another person. Like mm -hmm. all of a sudden, what you thought was a great moment in time is now tainted mm -hmm. and it's, it's cheapened. And there's something in the soul that, that gets struck, you know, because, because we, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not just sex. If there's something otherworldly about mm -hmm. it, that, mm -hmm. that bonds people together. And it, I think it was meant to be committal with, with two people, you know, and not, yeah. not multiple people. Um, uh, that's just, I, I, I don't see any, any other way around that. Yeah. So then what is sex addiction? Yeah. And how does counseling help? Okay. Yeah. Sex addiction is, uh, it's similar to other addictions in that there's certain criteria criteria that needs to be met for it to, to count as a clinical addiction. Um, one of the, one of the criteria is, um, like a, a built up tolerance to it, like it, it escalates. For example, um, um, let's say you are, um, you know, one, one aspect of sex addiction is like pornography viewing, right? Okay. So let's say you are watching porn, <clears throat> let's say you stumble upon it mm -hmm. and you're like, oh shoot, like, you know, I, what, what am I doing? I should, I should shut this down. Mm -hmm. And so that first initial contact with it was like 10 seconds long, but then Let's say you get curious about it again, as most people are, and um, and that 10 seconds becomes a minute the next time. And then a minute turns into five minutes the next time. And then you get hooked on that, that the feelings that, that rush into you as you're viewing the porn, that mm -hmm. now the five minutes needs to be five minutes every hour, or five mm -hmm. minutes becomes one hour, or it just keeps on escalating until the point where the amount that you used to intake it or the, the amount that you used to, you know, uh, 
experience it with another person is not enough anymore. You need mm-hmm. something longer. Uh, you need to be more intense. Uh, you need to be more, more, um, more kinky, you know, like more mm-hmm. violent, uh, whatever, whatever wow. it is, it needs to be um, escalated. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Um, there needs to be also like attempts to stop it. And these attempts are unsuccessful. Like for example, okay, you know, I realize I can't do this anymore. I'm going to stop. But then let's say a week later, you're back on, you're back on it again, you know? Mm-hmm. So continuous failed attempts is also an indication that, that addictions in play. Um, there's like withdrawal, like when you are away from it, when you're abstaining from it, there's something that happens within you. Like you get irritable, you get, you lack focus. Um, um, you, you just get, you feel like you got to have it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's almost like you, you, you lose control. You, you've got to, you've got mm-hmm. to have it to, to have some semblance of control in your life again. Um, consequences, like you start to, um, you start to lose relationships because of it. You lose a job because of it. You lose time because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when you, these are just a few of the markers but that's mm-hmm. when you know that you're now entering into addiction territory. And this is very similar to gambling, to substance abuse, to anything like all the withdrawal symptoms, the escalation, the, the loss of um, uh, the, the consequences that come with it. All these things are very similar in the same family of addictions. Wow. So when life goes out of control, they, uh, some people approach you for help. And how has your expertise and your experience been helpful for people to um, get their life back? Yeah. um, I find it, it's a a great privilege actually when people come to me for this because I know how difficult it was to get to that point of Mm -hmm. reaching out for help. I mean, it's, uh, you know, this whole thing is about erasing shame and Mm -hmm. the shame that builds up in someone who, um, either, you know, they don't feel good about themselves or they got found out and they're on the brink mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. disaster in their life. And, you know, whether it's shame about losing their marriage or shame about losing their job, like there's so much shame wrapped up in this that it is difficult to reach out to, you know, um, uh, a sex addiction therapist like myself. Um, but when they do, I, I, I tell them, you know, <laughs> um, good for you good for you for I'm proud of you for for actually reaching out and conquering or overcoming your shame enough to to do this. And what I try to do is number one, I try to create a very, very safe uh, environment for them. So Mm -hmm. I tell them, look, I know what it's like to have um, sexual addiction tendencies myself. And I also know what it's like to be betrayed by someone who has a sex Mm -hmm. addiction. You know, Mm -hmm. I know both sides. And uh, the healing that I received from friends, you know, from God, from other places has allowed me to, to give you um, a safe contained environment where you don't feel judged by me. And from there, like the training that I received allows me to um, provide structured steps um, for them to walk through so that the patterns that, that the patterns that got them to the point of being addicted to sex we kind of undo those patterns and create patterns in a different direction that they actually want for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a real lengthy process. Um, it's definitely not a quick fix. Some people think that they'd be overcoming their addiction in like a couple months max. 
Hmm. But um, it's actually, realistically, it's probably more uh, at least a year to, to okay. uh, maybe a year to five years, maybe. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's a real investment of time and money to do that. But for those who are really wanting to do that, um, that the structure is there. Yeah, uh, I, I've gone to counseling myself, and I mm -hmm. know at certain seasons of my life, uh, they usually have me do a commitment of ten sessions. Yes, uh, to, to 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 address, I guess, a smaller issue, but it's, right. uh, it's helpful to know how much time it will take to work on that and right. not expect it to happen in a couple months and feel like you're so bad. Yeah, and and, so and their, their their expectations are dashed too. It's like, oh, I thought I was mm -hmm. going to kick this this habit, but you know, it's a, it's a long it's a long process. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, how uh, as we're as we're wrapping up, uh, what would you say to uh, our viewers and listeners who are struggling with sex and shame? Uh, um, that, um, I feel their pain. Mm. Um, I feel their pain and I, I carry no, um, judgmental attitude towards them at all. Um, in fact, I, um, I have a lot of compassion, you know, even for those who, Mm. the ones who feel like they are the worst, like dregs of humanity, um, you know, they may not believe it, but I, I, I find that each, you know, they have tremendous infinite value. Um, mm. and I, I'm always looking for, um, some opportunities to be able to share that with them. Um, and that there's hope. Um, I, I, I don't think, I don't think hope comes in snapping your fingers and just wishing it away, but I think hope comes with um, being able to confront your shame, uh, being able to expose it and just kind of put it out, put it out on the table and say, let's take a look at it. And, um, you know, trying to figure out what, what we can do step by step to, you know, to conquer this, this shame. Um, and, you know, really DJ, uh, one of, one of the professors in my, in my training modules, he said that, um, I think, I think it was Ken Adams, Dr. Ken Adams. He said, um, you know, sex addiction, it is about the sex and it's also not about the sex. Um, it's what, what we're really talking about is, um, can you accept yourself? Can you present yourself as honestly as you can? Like, can you, can you present yourself as you are? Those people who cannot present themselves as they are to peers or to parents or to even to themselves, um, they get flooded with the shame of being themselves. And that shame drives us to alcohol, drives us to sex, to gambling, to video games, anything to just kind of mask that that horrible feeling. But for those you know, who are going to do like sex addiction treatment, yes, we're talking about the sex, but we're also talking about who are you? And what's so bad about you that you are so ashamed of yourself? Mm. And are there other options, you know, for, for healing that image of yourself? Um, are there ways for you to value yourself and therefore be able to present yourself as is to, to people and to accept 
their um, their reaction to you because not everyone's going to like you, you know, mm. and that's that's just a fact. Not everyone's going to like you, but can you accept that there there will be people who like you and some people who don't, and can you thrive in the areas where you are in a safe environment, and can you cope with the environments that you're not, you know? But you, what we're really talking about is can you can you know yourself and love yourself, and so that the shame gets decreased about who you are and therefore the shame uh, being decreased um, provides less fuel for any sort of addictions to take place, you know, moving forward. Um, so I would want to tell that to, to the viewers that, and to the listeners that, um, that, you know, I'd love to engage in an honest, honest conversation with them about um, who they are and what their um, shameful feelings drive them towards and what, what, what other options there might be to, to be able to, um, um, to live your life in a way that can provide a new legacy for you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that kind word and invitation. And, uh, it's taking that first step to step out of that darkness and that bondage of shame to find one person that you can begin having that conversation with. Yeah. You've got to overcome the lend you a hand to help you out. That's right. The, the overcoming the, the denial is the first part. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. good. Now you help people professionally yeah. uh, through your counseling practice, but you also help mm-hmm. people personally. Uh, you're a, a podcaster as uh, we are. Yeah. And so tell us about your podcast. It's called the same boat, the same boat. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a podcast that I am in love with um, just because the, the stories that people uh, present on, on the podcast are just uh, you know, they're, they're healing for a lot of people. They're, they're, they're saying the things that a lot of people are afraid to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're, they're verbalizing some of the angst that a lot of people out there, um, have, have not yet been able to verbalize. And, um, it's a, it's called the same boat because, um, I just want people to know that, um, that they're not alone in this life journey that there are people who are just like them. Uh, maybe their situation is not exactly the same, but uh, how they interpret situations and how they feel about themselves um, is very, very universal. Um, and this podcast is not for those who are rich in faith, but rather there, this, this is for people who are poor in faith. Hmm. Um, and I think that's that kind of speaks to the majority of us. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we're just speaking for myself, but, uh, but it's for those who are poor in faith. And, um, and, and yet, even though they are poor in faith, um, God breaks through and he shows his immense grace towards them. And that's, that's, that's where the healing um, truly takes place uh, when they can really receive that grace from, from God, despite their poor faith. Yeah. Those, those are really powerful stories. I, I've been trying to think how, how to describe it. It's kind of like the moth, but uh, in an interview style and very poignant and very uh, heart touching. And it's inspired me to step out of some of my own uh, issues and start oh, working on great. them. So it's given me courage. So thank that's you for great. doing that. Yeah, yeah, you're very welcome. My okay, pleasure. we'll add a link uh, in the show notes to that podcast. Yep. Uh, what's the best website for people to connect with you? They yeah, ask a um, question or I, I'm in the middle of I'm in the middle of uh, migrating uh, my my website. It still works. Uh, you could you can find me at um, roykimtherapy.com. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and but soon, and maybe in about a couple, maybe a week or so, um, it'll migrate over to um, newlegacycounseling.com. That's the name of my practice. Great, very good. Yeah. Well, Roy, thank you for being with us on Erasing Shame. And for our audience, uh, we would love for you to subscribe on YouTube or iTunes or other podcatchers at erasingshame.com and like our Facebook page. And uh, your help in sharing this uh, podcast with others will uh, be of tremendous help. Uh, We don't have a budget. We don't have a staff. We're just trying to help people uh, out of our um, gratitude for how we've experienced healing and uh, getting out of shame. So um, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Roy. Uh, Bless you. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Bye.